0: Dear broadies, before I get to the episode, I want to take a moment to address the June 24th, 2022 Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. This decision stripped away the right to have a safe and legal abortion in the United States. Everyone should have the freedom to decide what's best for themselves and their families, including when it comes to ending a pregnancy. This decision has dire consequences for individual health and safety and could have harsh repercussions for other landmark decisions in this country. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans and people who live in America. Learn more by visiting choice.crd.co. That's choice.crd.co. If you're able to support others, please consider donating to abortion funds. You can find a list of where to donate in each state at donationsforabortion.com. That's donations, the number four, I have personally started donating to states where trigger laws go into effect immediately. Remember, even if you can only spend $1 or $5, that helps. There are things we can do to fight this, and it is going to take continued focus and community support. So I encourage you to speak up, take care,
1: and spread the word. I've come to see home more as almost like this metaphorical space of how we can feel safe and seen and be able to engage those hard conversations those really important conversations with other people who are willing to do that work too
0: hello everybody and welcome to the pod broads this is a podcast about women in podcasting and i'm your host alexandra cole What's up, everybody? Welcome back, my dear broadies, to another week of the Pod Broads. I'm just going to come out and say, real quick, it's quite possible that you'll hear either the ice cream truck currently off in the distance driving around Ridgewood, Queens, or the birds, or some noises in the backyard of my building. It's a lovely day outside. A lot of people are doing a lot of things, and I'm just recording through it, and that's how it goes. It somehow also just feels perfect for this episode where I'm speaking with Laura Joyce Davis, who is the host and creator of Shelter in Place, a podcast that is, quote, an open-hearted memoir filled with authentic conversations. I say it is perfect because in part of our conversation, Laura gets really real about the way the pandemic both inspired this podcast and how it created some really real challenges for not just recording, but for her family. And the ways in which she tried to make the podcast with all this craziness happening behind her, especially because her first season happens over the course of 100 days in a row, a daily podcast that she admits was way more than she bargained for. And you just can't always control what's happening behind you. So I'm in a similar boat today. Throughout our conversation, you'll also hear about her past training as a writer, getting her MFA, how podcasting really helped her find her voice, and the apprenticeship that she and her husband now run to serve women creators in this space. I actually had the honor of coming to speak with them about PR and podcasting not too long ago. And not only were they such a truly badass group of women, Laura's enthusiasm and dedication to both the craft and supporting of women in this field is also so clear. Now, before we jump in, I just have two quick things to check in with you about. So first off... Next week, the beginning of the podcast is going to sound a little different, if only for a moment, because I will officially be starting a new ad collaboration with a new podcast and I'm super stoked about it. I guess I just want you to know that it means this podcast is growing and our group of fellow listeners is growing and that's super exciting and we'll come with just a few little changes here and there. The other thing is please continue to share with me your thoughts on each episode. And when you have a free moment, I would greatly appreciate you taking the time to leave a five-star written review for the pod on Apple Podcasts or on Podchaser if you do not have an iPhone. It really helps with discoverability and ensuring that this podcast reaches new listeners. Laura is actually one of those people who has been super supportive and vocal about her thoughts on the pod And I couldn't be more grateful to her for that. I'll actually drop you right into the moment she shares some of her thoughts about it and how it resonates with her own experience in the audio world. So let's just start right there.
1: I think it's just so fun, I mean, as a podcaster, to hear these other women who are in the same space. It's. I know we've talked about this offline, but everybody that I have met in audio has just been awesome and so I think that's what your show is really capturing is just how amazing this community of women is and they're really fantastic people doing really good work here yourself included certainly
0: yeah yeah well thank you I mean you too and it's part of the reason why I wanted you on this show and so I want to give you a moment to as you hear on the podcast intro yourself separate from your work and then within your work
1: yes so I'll do within my work first okay Uh, So I'm Laura Joyce Davis, and I'm the host and creator of the podcast Shelter in Place. And long before I was ever a podcaster, I was a fiction writer for more than 20 years. And so I really found my way to podcasting through writing And outside of that work, I am a mom of three highly opinionated kids who have (laughs) all inherited my flair for the dramatic and whose ages are also in the the single digits. So we have a very loud house. Uh Uh, And during this pandemic, I also learned that I am a... Really underwhelming homeschool teacher, and <laughs> in past lives, I've also been a collegiate running coach, a big ten athlete, an acapella singer, a Fulbright scholar, and a middle kid who sometimes fantasizes about being a blues singer and you know leaving it all behind. Not really, <laughs> but sometimes. Oh my gosh,
0: I love it! And I remember this was this was something we briefly talked about on that first phone call we had. But I love. That I have a fellow acapella singer totally, here with me today. It's a very, it's a very specific kind of like singing experience to go through that that not all singers experience, and so I feel I feel a kinship with you because of that.
1: Absolutely. And do you know, like, there I'm starting to meet a lot of podcasters who also are acapella singers. Like, it's a thing.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because if you're if you're referencing She Podcast in any way, one of the co-creators of She Podcast went to my university and was in my acapella group during her years. I didn't it was we're like years apart. But that was something I found out later on. And I was like, "What? Like, how bizarre? Like, it's just it's amazing the ways you like find people that you had both like been in the same space, whether at the same time or not, and now you're connected like 10 years later
1: or whatever because of podcasting. Absolutely. All yeah. that breath support l- work has paid off for us. Truly,
0: truly. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. And something else that I actually want to start with today is you mentioned the writing bit, and that was something that yeah. we talked about previously. And I just want to hear a little bit. I know there's a lot to go back through, but just kind of the key points of that writing journey and how it ultimately led you up to just beginning the podcast. So getting to that inception point of shelter in place, but also with just a little bit of history of kind of who you were in your workspace before getting into podcasting.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I mentioned I've been writing fiction for more than 20 years, um, starting really with the very first creative writing teacher I ever had was at the University of Wisconsin, Anthony Dor, who is still a friend today. He was my very first teacher and I think in many ways still like the person that I aspire to be like as a writer and just a very kind person in the way that he conducts himself in general. But, you know, that was so that was back in 2000 that I had him. I'm dating myself here, but that's all right. It's my birthday this week. I'm turning 42. <laughs> oh gosh, I don't mind yeah, saying. Yes. yes. Um, but I starting with that, um, I went on from there to get my MFA in fiction at Mills College, got to study under some really incredible writers. Um, Yi Yoon Lee was one of my teachers. Victor Laval, um, some just fabulous, fabulous people who I I still respect, and a lot of them I keep in touch with today. I think for a lot of years I really just had one vision of what my writing career could look like, and it was very much like get the book deal, write the novel, get the book deal, and then write the next novel, and you know one of the big five publishing houses, and all of that, and. I had some, you know, I did have some success. I won a big writing award that I got to sit in the office of the New Yorker editor as part of the, you know, it was like this amazing trip to New York where Mm -hmm. they basically wined and dined me for a week and introduced me to all these amazing people in publishing. And that was wonderful. And I, you know, I got a Fulbright scholarship and I won some other writing awards. And that was all really lovely. But I didn't, I think I was always feeling kind of, creatively frustrated Mm. and part of that I think just comes with the territory of being I think any creative where there's a lot more rejection than there is success and even if you have really big success it's like you have that success and then you have you know 50 more rejections after that and then I think when I became a mom um, my oldest is nine years old and so you know basically about a decade ago that really started to be something that You know, was just putting constraints on my creative work in a way that nothing before that had. Mm -hmm. And so, I think my journey prior to this podcast was, in many ways, trying to just navigate these challenges that were either, you know, gatekeeping that I wasn't able to get my work out there as much as I wanted to, just because the publishing industry is super tough, and Mm -hmm. you know, it's it that's just the nature of it. Or when I, you know, became a parent really finding so much of the hours of my day just by necessity being devoted to raising my kids. And, you know, at that point, it made sense for my husband to be the one who was working full time. I was still trying to do freelance work and write, but it was very much in the margins of raising my kids. And, you know, in in some ways, like that was fine. I don't I don't regret that. I made that decision myself. But I think looking back, I can really, really see how I think even though I did that work for 20 years and did have some success, you know, we talk in writing about finding your voice. Mm -hmm. And I think I was always looking. And I think I kept thinking, well, maybe I'm finding my voice now, but I was never really sure until I did this podcast. Mm -hmm. And I think that just comes with practice. I mean, I think so much of that, you know, nebulous term, finding your voice – really is about getting comfortable in your own skin as a creative and it's a term we use a lot in fiction but i think it applies to all writing and you know certainly to podcasting of just figuring out like how how do you show up in this creative world and how do how do your particular gifts and your personality and you know the way that you write all of these things how do they come together to make this thing that only you can create and You know, I mean, I know you always ask people about like the origin story of their podcast. So I'm kind of getting into that question Mm -hmm. a little bit. But, um, you know, with Shelter in Place season one, I did a hundred episodes. It was six days a week, a daily podcast for four months. Yeah. And man, if, you know, and and that's a whole other story, which I can tell you about. (laughs) But that I think helped me find my voice. And, Doing it day in and day out, not overthinking it. You know, I, like many people who are creatives, I'm a perfectionist. So it's very easy for me to fixate on my work and not let it out into the world until it's perfect. And so it was so good for me after 20 years of doing this work where, you know, I'd write 15, 16 drafts of an entire novel. Yeah. And then send it out to agents. And then I would do another revision. And, you know, this this was just the way that I've been doing things all along and to go from that to having to put something out every single day and just let it go and let good enough be good enough. I think it was it was one of the best things I've ever done creatively. Yeah. And I didn't know that when I started, of course, <laughs> but I can look back and see that now. Right. Well, so let's let's pause there
0: and just kind of go into that
1: moment a little bit because well
0: part of what I want to comment on uh, is is that writing piece that Identity as a writer because I've had a number of people on this show now myself included who one of my primary identities is a writer and a lot of my training for everything that I've done has come from being a writer and studying you know English lit in school and things like that and like I don't think everyone always realizes how much writing can go into podcast creation and even an interview based podcast like the the brain in which you turn on to be able to kind of format what you're doing is all these things in play and so that's speaking of format that's something that I really wanted to kind of dive into real quick was just so why a podcast like in that moment because I know there's this episode where you kind of come to your husband and you're like I think I want to do this thing like should I do it like just kind of like figuring out is this idea actually going to work but at that stage like how much I know you had done a podcast previously so I wonder what made you decide that podcasting would be the right format for this versus like a blog or something else that you could be putting out on a daily basis even like a newsletter whatever it was why why podcasting
1: I think it kind of gets back to you know, in the beginning, we were laughing about both being acapella singers, <laughs> yeah. and I actually think my singing background weirdly plays into podcasting a lot mm-hmm. because, and I know you've talked about this too. There's there's this performative aspect to getting up on stage, whether you're singing in you know in a choir or as in, as singing a solo or part of a group, and you know, I, I there was. I I hated getting up and doing public speaking when I was young, but I can remember being six years old and getting up in front of like my church and singing a solo and being totally fine doing that. There was something about that Mm -hmm. where I knew what was expected of me and I could get up and do it and I wasn't scared at all. And that's always been true of me. And then in the literary world, you know, you have readings and not every writer loves readings. Some people hate them. But I have always felt like that was kind of my sweet spot as a writer mm. was when I got to get up in front of an audience and not, not because I was performing even, although I do think there's certainly a performative aspect to a good reading. But I think because when you can put your own voice to your own words – there's the potential for something really magical to happen. Mm. And I think it's kind of the same thing that happens at a great concert. You know, remember when we used to go to concerts? Right. <laughs> I miss that. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, but, you know, really like that, that magical connection that can happen between the musician or the band or whatever and the audience. And I think it's the same thing that can happen at a great literary reading. And I think it's the same thing that happens with great podcasting, even though we're, you know, not live. Right, for sure. There's some really special thing that happens when somebody is presenting this thing that they love, that they've created, that they feel a very intense connection to. And as much as I will always love books and, you know, I'll always write, that's never going to go away. Mm -hmm. You don't get that same feeling, or at least you don't know if you do, right? You might have that experience of somebody's book. But you never get to find out about that usually. you don't you don't get to experience that same connection in the way that I feel like you do in those other forms.
0: Mm-hmm. definitely. And so when I think I just really want to emphasize the fact that you were doing this and by this, I mean recording, editing, and publishing ev- basically every day for a hundred episodes, which, is wild to me and so i and to me too believe me <laughs> <laughs> and so i just i really want my listeners to just like sit with that for a second because i know obviously m- my episodes for the most part are longer than those initial ones that you were doing but that takes a lot and and it also i imagine totally flipped the way that maybe your home life was. And so something I Absolutely. definitely wanted, yeah, like something I definitely wanted to ask you about was in doing this and I know your second season it's a little bit different so we'll get into that, but in yeah. doing this like kind of 100-day challenge to yourself is what it seems like to me, how did that impact not even just like your like family throughout a pandemic, throughout shelter in place for much of that? How did it impact those relationships whether for good or bad during those times?
1: Yeah, so I think it's important to say up front, if I had had any idea what <laughs> I was getting myself into, I I think I can confidently say I never would have done it. <laughs> and that's not to say I regret it. I don't regret yeah. it at all, but I, you know, I think from the outset it can look like productivity porn. Mm -hmm. Because I know like there was that at the beginning of the pandemic where people were like, look at all the amazing sourdough I'm baking and the things I'm doing. And I'm so fabulous. And that was not at all what was going on for me. (laughs) I mean, I, I literally when I started Shelter in Place. So, I mean, this is the story I tell in the very first episode on March 16th, 2020. We had just gotten the news that um, Oakland is my home for the past 16 years, and we'd just gotten the news that the Bay Area was going to be sheltering a place, that we were going to have stay-at-home orders. And my kids were – it was their very first day home from school. They were already driving me nuts. Um, it was my husband's first day home from work. He was working from home at that point. And we have a small house, like many people in the Bay Area, like a little two-bedroom, one-bath bungalow. Mm-hmm. There is not a lot of extra space for people to be kicking around And we were all just kind of on each other's nerves. So I went out for a bike ride. And on this bike ride, you know, this doesn't happen to me often. But in this moment, I just suddenly had this idea. I was like, I'll do a daily podcast. (laughs) This is how I'm going to survive this time. This is brilliant. I'm just and I'll just, you know, this will be so good for me creatively. I'll just I'll write one draft of a script. I'll do it in one take recording. I'll put it out into the world. I'll let it be imperfect. This will be great. It will just be my way to get through the next couple of weeks while my kids are home. And I really thought it was just going to be a couple of weeks. I did not in a million years imagine. I realize now how naive that was. But, you know, I think I I was not thinking that this would be a year-long-plus pandemic. I was thinking... Is this even real? Like, okay, we'll do this for a couple of weeks and then well, my kids will go back to school after spring break. It will all be normal. This will be fine. And what happened in the course even of those first couple of weeks is exactly what you're saying. Mm-hmm. My husband and I flipped roles. You know, I think I I think I managed to do that one take thing and that one draft thing for a about three days and then very quickly (laughs) I was like I can't do it in one take I gotta learn to edit audio (laughs) and so I did and you know and so um and in fact, it's funny, like the the second episode still pains me. I leave it out there for sake of posterity, but it still pains me because I didn't know how to edit audio yet. And you can hear me stumble over my words and, you know, <laughs> knowing what I know now, it's like very painful to hear. But whatever, we'll let it be. Uh, but it's an archive the, of that. It's, moment. A, it's part of the archive. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Part of the history. And, and that's really what I was thinking. I was thinking I was not thinking like, oh, this is going to be my livelihood. I was thinking, you know, this is a weird moment in history. (laughs) My kids someday are going to look back at this and wonder what this was like. And I can have this little daily, you know, log, basically like personal essays each day about what's going on right now. That was really the idea. It was Mm -hmm. very simple. The tagline of season one was finding daily sanity in a world that feels increasingly insane. And that's that's really all it was in the beginning. But within two weeks. Uh, I think it was the second or the third week of the pandemic. My husband got laid off from his job. Oh, man. And he, you know, as I said, was the breadwinner at that time. And so we went from not having like a cushy life, but a somewhat stable life Mm -hmm. to suddenly realizing, oh, wow, like all of these things that we had just sort of taken as a given are not a given. And we've got to really start thinking about what does life look like now? And by that time... I was far enough into shelter-in-place to realize that what I was doing, even though it started with the pandemic, was a lot bigger than the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And we have an apprenticeship program um, now that I can talk about in a minute. But uh, one of our apprentices said a couple of months ago, and I think I think this is a perfect description, she said, you know, I think shelter-in-place is really about what it means to be human right now and to ask all of these big life questions that my family and I started asking as soon as the rug kind of got yanked out from underneath us. Mm -hmm. And him losing his job was just the first of many things like that to happen. I mean, it was just kind of like the domino effect of one thing after another. All of these things that we'd been planning, you know, totally going away or getting delayed and then getting canceled. And, you know, family trips we'd been looking forward to for over a year, you know, my family doing it without us because they were all in one place and we weren't there. And, mm-hmm. you know, just uh, even we had plans to move to Mexico for a year. That other podcast that you oh, mentioned, wow. that was very connected yeah. to that whole thing. And it was a Fulbright project and that all, you know, we were supposed to be in Mex- in Mexico right now. And so just one by one, seeing those things slip away from us and really feeling our family break down in that process even as we were watching the world around us kind of go through its own fractures. And I think the podcast very, very quickly became a way for us to rewrite life for ourselves as we were figuring it out. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say that we had answers. We didn't, but it was really about asking those really hard, intense questions that they were always there. But I think the pandemic sort of forced us to confront them and, maybe a more direct way than we had to before because we either could distract ourselves or, you know, sort of ignore them because other things were going on and we were busy. And then all of a sudden it was like, okay, we got to deal with this stuff. We got to figure out what do we really want life to look like? And Mm -hmm. are we actually living, you know, we say we have these values about how we want to live, but are we actually living by those? Or are we just sort of reacting to... What society kind of tells us we're supposed to be doing. And so that, I mean, that is why we're still doing it today. It's really come out of those questions and. You know, there's a lot more I could say about what shelter in place is. It's a memoir, you know, we call it open hearted memoir. That's kind of the through line of all the episodes. Mm-hmm. And about half the episodes also have interviews. Yeah. But it's always it's always sort of my personal story intersecting with other people's stories, but then also these bigger questions that we're all facing right now. It's that interplay between the personal and the universal that I think was there in episode one and is still here, you know, 130 episodes later.
0: Yeah. Well, and let's talk about season two real quick because there was a slight shift, you know, and the deeper you got into just the skill level and fleshing out what you actually want this to be and what it's going to cover, season two is very much focused on what's the how do i want to explain this it's it totally speaks to the like writer in me like the literary analysis person in me and so you're you're integrating these like ideas and journeys that happen in the odyssey on top of like bringing people on to you know talk about their own experience but then answer these big questions <laughs> or I don't know if I can say answer. There's not always an exact answer, but just give their experience to this big question. I'm thinking about the episode that you did on friendship and mm-hmm. love. And I kind love of that one. Yeah. That was one of my favorites. And it's something that I just find we as, as people, at least like in the ether are talking about more and more, which I definitely am very happy about, but I, I do want to hear kind of, I want to hear the story behind the choice to make that shift for season 2, why The Odyssey? What's your relationship with that story and I guess why did it feel perfect for how you're going to continue on with the Shelter in place?
1: So this wasn't actually the first time that I wrote Inspired by the Odyssey. And there's an episode kind of buried in the middle of season one. Mm -hmm. And it's an essay that I wrote about a time that my husband and I was when our kids were, our two older kids were babies. And we went away for what we thought was a weekend. And we got uh, Hurricane Odile hit Cabo, where we were for the weekend. You know, it was like this vacation we'd saved up for. And the second day we were there, our hotel just got like, pummeled to the ground oh, and we, wow. we spent the whole time underground and then trying to get out of mexico and oh my you god know, driving our rental car i mean it was this crazy just truly awful week like it was really yeah. str- you know one of the most stressed out times i've ever been in my life but my husband and i co-wrote an essay after that experience but just what i mean it ended up taking us a week to get home it was supposed to be a three-day trip and it was you know Lots, a lot more adventure than we bargained for. So I think I, I think I had that story in my brain, you know, because I had um, read that essay in an episode in season one. Mm -hmm. And then in August, it was a similar, I mean, obviously a totally different situation, but we had a similar chain of events where it just felt like, you know, we had thought that the pandemic was already challenging. Yeah. And then things just started to like hit us one after the other and so within a 48-hour period this was mid-august so our kids were our two older kids are elementary school age we we found out you know a couple of weeks before that that they weren't going back to school mm-hmm. so we had a distance learning pod that we were trying to make work but it was like not an awesome situation and that was in our backyard so we were like trying to make at, at that point by the way my husband at some point in the summer Actually came to join me um, working on shelter in place. So mm-hmm. he has been working with me since I think June or July. So at this point, our kids are trying to do distance learning on Zoom in the backyard with this other family, you know, with masks <laughs> on. And we're right, like, we have a little writing shed in our backyard, and so my husband and I are out there. The kids are like ten feet away from us, you know. We're trying to, you know, like yeah. we're trying to record, and there's like <laughs> in the backyard, and then and and, but, you know, it was like we were kind of making it work. And then within a 48 hour period, the California wildfires came, which, as we all know, were horrendous this year. Yeah. And even though we weren't, you know, close to the fire, we were close enough that we couldn't. The smoke was so bad that you couldn't even be outdoors. And so immediately our little distance learning pod had to move indoors into our tiny little house. So that was like the first thing. And then I think 12 hours later, we got a call from our preschool. We just sent our three-year-old back to preschool after having her home for like, you know, the first six months of the pandemic. One of the teachers had COVID. So they were shutting the preschool down. Oh, wow! And so she, you know, maybe was exposed. We didn't know. So because of that, our distance learning pod broke down. They didn't want to be exposed to our daughter And so we went from having like these kind of shaky support structures, but they were support structures to just, okay, we have no support for our kids at all. Like all three of our kids overnight are just, you know, everybody that was helping is now not able to help. And then we can't even go outside because the wildfires are so bad. And so we made a decision very, very fast to... Go across the country closer to extended family, not for good, but, you know, for we thought a couple of months at the time. Mm -hmm. My husband is um, right now where I'm recording. This is in the North Shore of Boston. That's where my my husband is originally from. And so we made this trip across the country and we really didn't have a plan. Like we didn't have places to stay. We had our tent. So we were like camping along the way. But it was it was two weeks after we had the very first conversation, you know, two weeks after the first day of the wildfires, we were gone. Like it happened that fast. And, you know, some of it was sort of fortuitous. Like we found out two days later that some friends wanted to rent our house. So, you know, that part was kind of set. Yeah. But because of that, you know, we the, the idea for kind of going back to that Odyssey and the second season we call Pandemic Odyssey was really going back to this I think it was kind of this emotional connection to that Mexico hur- hurricane experience of mm-hmm. just feeling like everything you know we we went in thinking that we were doing one thing and then all of a sudden the the floor just kind of fell out from underneath us and so we had to move we had to do something you know act fast and try to try to make the best decisions we could without the full information and so similarly with this, you know, we were making our way across the country. It took us about a month to get from one coast to the other. We were, you know, staying with people where we could along the way and camping and, mm-hmm. you know, just trying to survive. Like, zooming, our kids were Zooming on their school-issued laptops in the car with, like, our cell phones as hot. Oh, wow. so I mean, it was just like a nightmare. It was so just not fun for anybody. <laughs> not like the <laughs> not like the happy road trip that you would yeah. hope for. It's like, you know, oh, somebody no. was always crying and whining and, you know, somebody's Zoom wasn't working. And so all that is to say, by the time we got here, we got here late September and we were just exhausted. And I I knew that I was, you know, I'd would been promoting season two for weeks saying, we're going to put it out in September. And we'd originally thought early September. Oh, man. And so that first episode, I just, I could not write it. It was the hardest episode to write. I was so tired. I just was like, I'm so frazzled myself. You know, I was like crying all the time and just feeling so yeah. out of sorts. And then I think the Odyssey thing just kind of came to me. Um, you know, really in writing that first episode and realizing we're on a journey, like maybe it's OK if we don't know how this ends and maybe it's OK that I'm actually, you know, <laughs> to use the Odyssey metaphor, like I'm sort of lost at sea. And, you know, Odysseus was on that journey for 20 years before he got to go home. And we were thinking a lot about home and a lot about, OK, we're leaving our home, this place that we love But that is also very challenging to live in. Sometimes it's very, you know, you're in New York City. I'm sure you're thinking about a lot of the same things. Like it's expensive and it's a wonderful place to live. But you also have to ask questions about like, how long can I do this? And, you know, we have been asking those questions this entire year. And certainly when we were leaving, it was it was like relief to get help. But at the same time, a lot of grief to leave and just wonder maybe we're leaving, like, when we come back, we know it won't be the same. And even if we do stay when we come back, like, already we have good friends who've left. And our neighborhood isn't the same as it was. You know, neighbors have moved on to other places. And so I think just that idea of home and returning to home and being on this journey where things are often, you know, very stormy and uncertain and, There's a lot of just unforeseen challenges that come up. I mean, I think all of those metaphors that you can pull from the Odyssey, we've found ourselves referring to often in life. And so, yes, that's also like the literary geek part of my brain coming out. You know, I'm showing my cards here. I'm so here for it. (laughs) Trust me.
0: (laughs) Hi, everyone. My name is Camilla, and I'm the creator of Abortion with Love a podcast dedicated to holding space for conversations to be had about abortion and honoring all abortion experiences. With each episode, you'll hear people from all over the world who in their own ways are fighting for reproductive justice and reclaiming the ways that we talk about abortion. I hope that through these conversations, we can reshape the story of abortion to be a story about love.
1: You're all invited to join the conversation. You can find Abortion with Love anywhere you listen to podcasts. I hope to see you there.
0: Okay. One more important PSA. Here's my challenge for you. Take a screenshot right now of this episode and share on social media with a tag to Padreland and the guest. I want to know that you're listening and I want to shout you out. Also, are you signed up for Poderland's email list yet? Because as much as I love social media and connecting through there, I'm also preparing for its demise. And I want to make sure that I stay in touch with you and we have control over our communication. Not only will you get important updates about this show, you'll get recommendations of other women-hosted podcasts, news related to podcasters you love, discounts on my cute-ass merch, and much more. Okay, let's get back into this interview. That was something I wanted to ask you because so much of it deals with home but all of these different meanings of home and so I wonder like after how long has it been it's been over a year now I'm like how long have we been in this pandemic um a little over a year having done this project and having you know talked to other people not just about home but just about you know all these things that go into life um how has how your understanding and definition of home changed in the last year because of this work?
1: It's such a good question. We're working on an episode about that very question right now. And it's been a really hard one to answer because I think before the pandemic, I thought I knew I thought what I had in Oakland was home. And even as we've done this podcast, you know, shelter in place is obviously a very pandemic name. But as we've done this work, we've come to think of it as, you know, this is how we are finding our metaphorical shelter and our existential place Mm -hmm. in this world. And that's not actually tied always to a place. I think I thought it was before. And certainly Oakland is still home, but I think what I've come to realize is that Home is where I can find connections with people who make me feel seen. And as much as I am disconnected to, you know, a lot of my life back in Oakland and a lot of the things that made that place home, I do still have really deep connections with, you know, some of the people there. And then also some of the people that I've come into contact with in this pandemic that I never would have met if I if all of this hadn't happened. yeah. And so I think i've I've come to see home more as almost like this metaphorical space of how we can feel safe and seen and be able to engage those hard conversations, those really important conversations with other people who are willing to do that work too. And you know, I think that's what we found at shelter in place with you know within our own team and our apprentices. But then also in, you know, with with listeners that we've come to know because of this work and the people that I've gotten to interview. I mean, I, I, I've i lost count, but I think it's something like 65 people that I've interviewed in mm-hmm. just, you know, these episodes since last March. It's been a ton of conversations that have just been so beautiful. You know, like I feel so lucky to get to have met these incredible people who are doing such good work and like yourself included, you know, this is a perfect example of <laughs> yeah. you and I would never have met if not for this pandemic. And as much as you can't say you're glad for the pandemic, but I do think there there are things that have come out of it that have been really, necessary. you know, it, it doesn't, yeah, <laughs> necessary. And I don't, I don't think it takes away the pain Mm-mm. that has also been there. I mean, I don't want to dismiss that, but I think those things, you know, the joy and the pain, like we're always holding those things in tension, right? And I'm always aware of that in every single episode of Shelter in Place of like there is the the pain and there's also the joy. And like hopefully we can find our way to the joy without dismissing the pain because that's real too.
0: Yeah, it's it's that continued kind of conversation and realization that I think is so important. The reality that so many things can be true at once and it doesn't, you know, diminish either truth because there's another truth that exists that contradicts it at the same time, which can be a really complicated thing. But it's that is something that I have learned this last year very much.
1: Well, and don't you feel like all the most interesting places in life are the complicated ones? Yeah. I mean, that's something that I've come to really appreciate is you know, even in something like politics, it's like it's rarely as simple as it seems on the surface. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I've really come to appreciate in all these conversations with, you know, all kinds of different people from all over the place is that once you kind of get down to not just what people believe, but the stories behind those beliefs and, you know, kind of their own origin stories of how they came to be who they are, it's so much more interesting than it than it seems at face value. And, you know, I found myself in conversations with people that I really disagree with about some things, but mm-hmm. that I can really admire them as a person still, because we we can kind of, like, recognize that humanity in each other. And, you know, not to say, I don't mean to say that, like, you can get along with everybody. I mean, obviously that's not true, but <laughs> yeah. I think there are Definitely probably not. more <laughs> of us. Yeah, right. But I think there are more of us that could get into those conversations if we gave each other a chance to just, you know, really talk about the stories behind those beliefs and yeah. really listen to each other in a different way than we're used to.
0: Well, and it's it's kind of the nature of this work, too, because I think depending on who it is that you're interacting with um, and your individual experience like that's just can be too much emotional labor that should not be what you need to spend your time on but then there's people like you doing the work that you're doing where it's like okay well I'm I'm deciding to put myself in the space where I'm going to make that a part of what I'm doing and take that on and so I think that's you know, that's a tough choice, but also can be really rewarding. And also maybe you can do that work for people who maybe shouldn't have to.
1: I hope so. I do. I mean, because I think, you know, I, our design director, Sarah Edgel, she always talks to us about like, we all have our superpowers, you know, as creatives and finding out like, what is your superpower to kind of gift the world with? And she, has said this thing that we all laugh about often, which is that the sweet spot of shelter in place is Laura in tears. And, you know, (laughs) I mean, she's, she's sort of joking, but sort of not. And I do think there's some truth to that. Like, I think what I've, you know, I talked about finding my voice earlier. And I think what I've discovered in this work is that my willingness to be super real about what's going on with me personally, even when I don't look great when I you know get that real like that is that is an entry point into other people's stories into some of these big hard questions like it's something I can offer and that vulnerability and that openness you know that's not something that everybody is willing to offer but it's something that I've realized when I look back at my writing it was always there it was always that desire to figure out what is it about my own story that I can use as a connection point with other people? And often it's it's the hard stuff. It's not the stuff that makes you look good. It's the stuff that is painful or scary or, mm-hmm. you know, really pushes you to be brave. And I think, you know, I had, I had a teacher who once said safe writing is boring writing. And I always think about that. I, I think it's true. Mm-hmm. I think that often the most energy in writing does come in those places that feel even a little bit scary. And obviously you have to decide at the end of the day, like, does it make it out into the world just because it's on the page? Mm -hmm. Maybe not, but more often than not, I would say it does. Yeah, <laughs> and that you know some of the best episodes that I feel like we've made have come out of those Laura in tears moments, <laughs> and <laughs> and there have been tears shed. Believe me.
0: <laughs> oh man. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm right there with you. Um, but yeah, it, it is this piece, and kind of going back to just you know our writer backgrounds. Like I think that yeah. in learning how to edit myself as a writer, be being an editor to yourself, and really being an edit, like really being an editor to yourself. Yeah. Is a continued practice in self reflection. Yes. And that's so important in any work that we're doing. And I can see that work coming into play with Shelter in Place very much when I listen to those episodes. And I have I've one I like specifically want to ask you about, but I do want to allow you space to give some context, a little more context to the apprenticeship that you do have going. Yeah. So can you give like a quick rundown of just like what that is and who you're serving? And then we'll jump into that question about an episode.
1: Yes. Um, So I think I'll say by way of preface that I feel like, you know, I mentioned that I was a collegiate running coach and a runner myself in a past life for many years, actually. And I feel like this is I I always thought that writing and coaching were totally separate parts of myself that would (laughs) never, ever meet. And I have found in this apprenticeship, like my coaching brain and my writing brain have come together. And it is it's like the most fun work I've ever done in my life. I just I love I can't tell you how much I love being able to pour into these women truly truly mentor them not just for the 12 weeks they're with us but you know I say to them that my hope for them is that I would be a mentor for life to them and I Mm -hmm. mean it and I really do you know I feel like one of the things that I have the ability to do is identify people's strengths and help them to develop those and then teach them new skills and expose them to a lot of stuff that they wouldn't get to touch you know, without being in this field for many, many years. And so we launched this apprent- apprenticeship in January. And so far, we've had 12 apprentices come through it. Um, we have two cohorts that overlap for a little bit. So we've graduated six of them. And then we have six more that are with us for a few uh, another six weeks here. Mm-hmm. And they're 10 hours a week, so they're not full time. But in those 10 hours, they get to do all of like the best stuff about podcasting. So we really emphasize that you learn by doing. And so, you know, when I'm creating these episodes, I'm bringing them deep into that process with me. And I'm, you know, they rotate through different roles. So every single week they do something different. And, you know, they'll cycle back on so they get to do multiple different roles and episodes. But I just, you know, I think I learned so fast in this industry because I was doing it myself Mm -hmm. over and over and over and over again. yeah. And obviously I've learned a ton in that process and I've had a lot of people who've guided me through that. But I've just seen how when you give people the opportunity to have some responsibility creatively, they can do amazing things that they wouldn't feel like they had permission to do if they were just, you know, like even in in just like some job. And I think, you know, we get pigeonholed to do like, well, this is your job and you do this one thing and that's your responsibility and you don't touch anything else. But I actually think when you get to touch all of the different pieces of podcasting, like that's how you really learn and that's how you really can identify for yourself, you know, your own creative opinions and taste and, um, you know, all of that stuff that I think is so important as certainly as podcasters, but also writers. And, you know, we do a lot of writing training, too. It's a lot of stuff that I'm pulling from my MFA experience and from the Mm -hmm. teachers I had. And then we talk a lot about those big life issues of creatives. I mean, we definitely talk about the nuts and bolts of podcasting, but I would say we talk just as much about what does it mean to be a creative in this world where you're going to just get knocked down a lot more than you get built up? Yeah. And how, you know, what does it mean to be a good creative citizen you know and you're in audio or in writing or what to help other people in that and to really try to foster this environment where we're not being competitive with each other we're really looking for opportunities to lift each other up and you know bring each other into opportunities that we see and so I mean it really is like I feel so lucky to get to know these amazing women that I've gotten to spend the last few months with and it's I, I, you know, I try to be the boss that I always wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my husband is doing this with me and he, you know, we we both talk about how we've been doing, we've both been writers in different ways for more than 20 years. We have, you know, degrees between us and experiences at amazing places. But to be able to combine all of the good and hard things that we've learned and then pass it on, it's, it's really a joy.
0: Yeah, definitely. So, I, I'm really glad you brought up that piece about being a you know good creative in the world. And the episode that I wanted to ask you about was you'll you might have to, you'll have to help me out with the name both the name of the apprentice who was on it and the name of the episode, but it was the one where you're kind of investigating homelessness and specifically homelessness in the San Francisco Bay Area. Just a little context for my listeners. So this episode starts with Laura kind of telling the story of this homeless man that she and her family kind of got into just like a a kind of a relationship, it is a relationship, but one where you would kind of drop stuff off to him and, you know, you knew his name, you two would, you would interact over time and then have this moment of reflection as we've been talking about and just kind of realizing the shortcomings that we have as people who just have not had certain experiences and reflecting on how much you didn't understand about homelessness and about the homeless community. And me listening to that episode, I was like, well, this is, this has taught me so much already that I also could never have intimately known because that's not something that I've experienced. And so in thinking about this memoir project and also bringing in other people's stories as a creator, as someone wanting to create good in the world and, be careful with the stories that you're sharing. How do you navigate what is a part of my story and my memoir story to share and what part is not mine to share?
1: Yeah, it's such a good question. I think it really depends on the episode, on the subject matter, and also the moment that we're in. I was a Fulbright scholar to the Philippines for a year, and In the time that I was there, I was writing, but I was also working on a daily basis with survivors of sex trafficking. That experience of living life with those women for a year, day in and day out, working at an organization that was deeply committed to protecting their stories and uplifting those women— It was a great education for me on just how important ethical storytelling is and taught me why it's important to let those stories breathe on their own and speak for themselves in the way that they needed to. The episode you mentioned was called An Affront to Zeus, and it's a conversation with Sarai Waters, who was one of our very first shelter-in-place apprentices. And it's really her story of being homeless in Los Angeles and in San Francisco, and looking at homelessness really from an inside perspective, it was very important to me that her story really takes center stage. Mm -hmm. This is something that I'm always thinking about with Shelter in Place, especially because it is a memoir podcast. There is this thread through all of the episodes, even the interview episodes. But as I've interviewed different people for the show— Especially when we're dealing with more sensitive subject matter, I'm always thinking about how much of myself do I even put in the story. And sometimes when the story calls for it, when there's a direct connection point and there's a good reason for my story to be there, then I'm totally willing to go there. But then other times I really pull back because my story isn't actually the one that needs to be told right now in that moment. And certainly in that episode with Sarai, I really only offered my own story as sort of a lead in to hers and then tried to just pull back as much as I could.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, last spring, last summer, with everything that was happening in the Black Lives Matter movement, because I was doing a daily podcast, it felt disingenuous not to talk about that. It was all I could think about. We had a whole series of episodes that featured Black artists and musicians and thinkers and activists. And those episodes were really me just passing the mic to give them room to say whatever they felt was important to say in that moment. It felt extremely important to pull myself back as much as possible. Mm -hmm. That was a moment where I needed to do a lot more listening than talking. And, you know, most moments in life are like that, right? I think it's (laughs) very rare in life that it actually needs to be about us. That said, there are times when it makes sense to bring in my own story. Mm -hmm. We recently released an episode about mental health that was actually another interview with one of our apprentices, Winnie, and that episode ultimately was about what it means to be an ambitious woman with big dreams and big ideas and big expectations for yourself, and also the real mental health weight of that. And that is something that I know intimately. Yeah. I can trace all of my experiences of depression to that struggle. And ultimately, All four of us who were working on that episode ended up sharing a bit of our story as part of that episode. There was real power and healing even to just realize that we were in the company of women that we respected and admired and enjoyed and our mental health struggles didn't change that. It actually made us feel more seen by each other. Our hope in putting that episode out was that that would invite others who are listening to feel seen themselves. Mm -hmm. But I think there's always that balance of asking that question of do I need to be here or is it actually more important to amplify somebody else's voice in this moment?
0: Yeah, I think that's a great takeaway for, you know, anyone who's in the position, regardless of medium, who's handling other people's stories or, responding to what's going on in the world. And it's something that I, you know, try and grapple with all the time, whenever I can, you know. Um, So I have one more question for you. And it's kind of related to some of some of the points that you've touched on just now and earlier in our conversation. But there's this one episode where you're talking about art and you know, does it even matter right now? Is it a luxury right now to be able to do? And this was kind of back last year when when it was all kind of new, but all as in the pandemic and just all the shit that we are going through. But there was this one line that stuck out to me that was, it, it's about what the creative process does to you. Yeah, And I loved that. And I was like, oh, I definitely want to ask Laura that today and just hear what has the creative process of shelter in place What has it done to you in the last year? And I know that's a big question. So yeah, in the most, like, I guess, simple and succinct way that you can identify in this moment, what has it done to you in that time? It has
1: changed my life. That's (laughs) not an exaggeration. I wouldn't be doing just about anything that I'm doing right now. If not for this work, I wouldn't be running this apprenticeship program for women podcasters, certainly my husband and I wouldn't be working together. I wouldn't be across the country right now near family to get support. And that's just the external change, right? At the heart of all of that, I think the personal change has been that it's pushed me to be braver in my writing than anything I've ever done before. I think with fiction, I always found pieces of myself in those stories. But the thing about doing memoir in a pandemic, and especially when I was doing a daily podcast in season one, and even with a weekly now in season two, is that I regularly find myself confronted with really hard questions. Questions that I maybe don't actually want to answer because Mm -hmm. they either make me confront some not-so-great part of myself or some situation that's painful or some question that I don't have an answer to. Sometimes that confrontation has been really scary. But I've tried every time to do the courageous thing and to go there and be really honest about it. And I haven't regretted that yet. Mm -hmm. But the thing about doing something over and over and over again for now over 130 episodes, is it's kind of like developing a muscle. You start to be able to do it a little more easily than you could before. It doesn't mean it won't be difficult, but you start to trust yourself a little bit more. Yeah, There is so much to be gained from being that honest about that struggle that we all face of being human. Our need to connect with other people in that process is so crucial. I think it's something that I was always doing, but not as consciously or intentionally as I am now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So. Um... Now it's time for the rapid fire questions, and I know you're you're familiar with them. So I'm 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 always like, how prepared? How prepared are they? But wh- so for the first one, who would you name as your podcast mentor or just someone you emulate in the space? Can I say both? Yeah, go
1: for it. So emulate first. Anna Sale is somebody that I think I have been learning from the entire time I've been doing podcasting myself. I did meet her once briefly at Work It, but I can't say I know her. Oh, cool. Death, Sex, and Money is always going to be in my feed, and I think there's a lot of similar emotional territory to shelter in place. But even beyond that, Anna is such a master interviewer. Jesse Thorne has this podcast called The Turnaround, where he interviews interviewers it's a great podcast for podcasters because he asks all of these interviewers how they do what they do. And the one with Anna Sale in particular really stuck with me. Some of the things that she said about the interview process, I learned so much about, you know, how there is such a thing as being over prepared for an interview. That was new to me. Yeah. And then the other part of that question of people who have mentored me. So I've kind of had this progression of mentors through this whole process. My dear friend Nina LaCour, who has her own podcast called Keeping a Notebook, she is a fabulous, best-selling, award-winning author and has been in my writing group for the last 15 years. We've met every month for 15 years. Nina was really the one who sat down with me and broke it down for me in a way that made me feel like, oh, okay, I think I could actually do this. Like, here's the microphone I use. Here's how you get the podcast out into the world. And then Nina referred me to Sarah Enny, who does the podcast First Draft, who is also somebody that I have never met, but sent me like the most amazing list of resources over email. And then Olivia Allen Price, who does Bay Curious, was my mentor at Work It in 2019. Oh, cool. And then more recently, Air paired me up with Megan Tan, who is now working at LAist and has done so much fabulous work. We're actually still meeting. We've got a couple meetings left. And I love her work. It's been really a joy to get to learn from her.
0: Oh, cool.
1: And that has been very much my experience of women in audio is just generosity and people being very friendly to others coming into the industry and like there's room for all of us here.
0: I love that. That was like one of the I feel like just one of the most full answers to that question that I've gotten, and I love Hopefully it. Hopefully not too full. No. You're
1: talking to a former novelist here, so. No, you know. it's
0: great. <laughs> it's it's wonderful. And I definitely have to listen to that episode with Anna Sale and also just check out that
1: whole podcast. Yeah, the turnaround is great. It he sounds great. Yeah, great people like Terry Gross, Ira Glass. I learned so much. Oh, very cool. Okay. Well, thank you for that suggestion.
0: And speaking of suggestions, now you get to tell me who we we would find on your podcast
1: queue when you're listening for pleasure. Well, obviously the pod broads. (laughs) I mean, seriously, that's one that I was listening to a lot this week and really loving. And everybody else should, too. I think you've created such a special space here for podcasters to just hear about what others are doing in the industry and featuring great work. It's really wonderful. But my list of what I'm listening to, it's constantly changing. I have podcasts that I go back to, like I mentioned, Death Sucks and Money. The Happiness Lab is another one that I love. This American Life, I mean, I think I kind of learned from them how to do what I'm doing now by being a listener. Mm -hmm. That was really the beginning of my podcast education was just hundreds of episodes of This American Life. I think it's the podcast that taught me that I wanted to do what I'm doing now. I listen to a lot of podcasts that friends of mine in audio are doing. So people that I've met through this work One of those is Inherited by Georgia Wright. Mm. It's a podcast about the youth climate change movement. Anya Merchenko has a great podcast called Work Schism that is just really interesting conversations about work. The three of us were all finalists for the 2019 WNYC Podcast Accelerator Contest at Work It and all of us are doing things that are slightly different than what we had originally pitched at that Podcast Accelerator contest. They've both now become friends. We've been able to really support each other. More often than not, how I find what I'm listening to right now is just through those other kind of networking connections that happen. Being a woman in audio myself. Yeah, I'm totally right
0: there with you on that. Um, Well, speaking of if people want to get in touch with you, where can my listeners find you and support the work that you're doing?
1: You can find us at shelterinplacepodcast.info, where you can find information about our apprenticeship program, which is one of the things that I get most excited about these days, if you can't tell. We think our apprentices are pretty awesome. This is a true joy for me to be able to promote these other women and help other people to find the good work that they're doing, too.
0: Yay. Amazing. Well, Laura, thank you so much for joining me today. This was so much fun. And I'm so glad that we got to talk for even longer than
1: last time. Me, too. This has been really fun. And keep up the awesome work, really. It's a joy to support you because you're doing great work. Thanks so much, Alexandra.
0: Our original music is produced by Carrie Blue, and everything else is produced by me, myself, and I, Miss Alexandra Cole. And you can follow me on Instagram at Podrland, P-O-D. Dot D-R-A-L-A-N-D, or Twitter at Podrland minus the period. And you can find more of what I do on Podrland at www.podrland.com, where I recommend women-hosted podcasts and feature indie women podcasters. So I hope to see you there. Feel free to subscribe to the newsletter. You'll get recommendations and updates about this podcast. And finally, make sure to share this episode, tag us in it, like that shit, give us a review. Anything you do helps not just this podcast get more exposure, but also helps these women's voices be heard by way more people. And ultimately, that's our goal. So let's fucking do it.